Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. How? What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. Okay, let's do this. How are you? What the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? Wow, I, I sort of slacked. In my opening, I had a little speech thing. What the fuck, everybody? Nice to be here. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. I appreciate your input. I appreciate your gifts, your emails. I do what I can to get back to you. I am completely thrilled. I really am. I, I, I'm, I'm having a good time out here in the garage. I would like to say, before I really get the show going, thanks for all the uh, amazing response to the Matt Graham episode that happened on Monday. It seemed to be a very provocative episode. People kind of fell on either side of how they felt about the entire event of him revealing what he revealed, of me witnessing it and everything else. But I am, I have some sad news, but I also have some good news. I had mentioned uh, Matt's cat, Ruth, uh, was uh, ill. Uh, unfortunately, uh, he passed away, and I got a call from Matt. He's very upset, and uh, he, he wanted me to mention that. But I did want to say this as well. Uh, in, in spite of that, and, and with a heavy heart, Matt is going to be doing his one-man show. Now, whatever you thought of that interview or, or whatever it made you feel, if you're in New York and you want to see Matt you know, get, you know, take the stage again and, and do his stand up and do his one person show and, and be himself on stage. This is an opportunity. It's February 16th and 17th uh, at 7.30 PM at a place called the Kimball studio. That's 78 fifth Avenue. It's on the 10th floor. If you need some more information, go to Matt Graham's Facebook page. That's Matt G R A H A M. He's doing okay. And uh, d- despite what any of you think, uh, Matt and I had a had a had a great conversation. Not unlike many conversations we've had, we've had. I've known him a long time, and uh, he's had his disposition for a long time. But I, I think uh, I've watched tapes of this show. You should go see him do what he does. I just wanted to tell you those two things about Matt. And what else do I want to tell you before I start babbling? Oh, quinoa flakes, quinoa flakes, not great, not great. Uh, that's all. Bought some. Didn't know what to expect. Didn't love them. They're okay, but uh, I know that quinoa is a, a miracle thing, but uh, didn't, didn't love them. That's uh, just a little bit, a tidbit of information. Another tidbit of information. Tim Ferriss, the creator of The 4-Hour Body, is, uh, has emailed me. I guess me tweeting about not being able to hang on or you know stick with his diet is, has caused him some uh, trouble in the sense that he's like, how can I help this guy? So I think it's, I, I mean, it is a testament to the success of the podcast that that the creator of a diet uh, wants to get in touch with me. I, I don't, now I feel guilty. I mean, what am I going to email him every day to go over what I'm trying to do? I mean, I, I feel pretty good, but I, I think that uh, his diet is healthy, but I don't know. I, now I'm nervous. I, it's one thing to try to do a diet. It's another thing to have the taskmaster of the diet actually in contact with you. We'll see how that goes. Valentine's Day is coming up, and I did want to say this. I, I get a lot of gifts and a lot of interesting things from you people, and I appreciate all of them. My garage is now just uh, wall-to-wall uh, stuff, not only my stuff, but stuff that you guys create. And this woman, Peggy, uh, sent me this necklace that I gave to Jessica, my girl, 
and it's an actual it's a heart necklace it's a, it's a silver heart but it's an anatomically correct heart uh, it's pretty intense and pretty beautiful and it actually opens like a locket and you can see the ventricles in it and uh i asked her to make me a ring she made me a clata ring with uh with an actually anatomically correct heart on it and in in return for that i said that i would send you her way and this is a uh, an act of passion. She sent me the gift uh, just thinking I'd like it and I loved it. But you can go to www.peggyskemp.com, P-E-G-G-Y-S-K-E-M-P.com and check out those hearts, man. Interesting fucking present. All right? Not misleading you there. Today on the show, Bill Lawrence. Bill Lawrence, the creator of Scrubs, Cougar Town, and other things had a great conversation with Bill, and it's sort of timely because Cougar Town's back. Uh, there was a question as to whether it would, would be back, but it is back. It'll be back next week, uh, Tuesday, uh, the fourteenth, Valentine's Day, isn't that? It is, and we'll talk to to Bill in just a second. I had an experience the the other day. I was up in San Francisco, had a great time at Sketchfest. Uh, I think I might have mentioned that, um, but but here's the deal. I had to move. I I wanted to do my girl a favor, so I told Jessica she'd been paying rent on some stuff at a storage unit up in Burlingame when she lived in the area, so there was just this stuff. I always have a problem with that because I got stuff in a storage unit too, and then you start to wonder, what, why am I... Why am I paying rent on that stuff? Why do I want my my shit to live comfortably in a storage unit? What am I holding on to there? And I started to picture storage units as being this weird these they're they're almost like they're the equivalent of a literal hard drive of people's random effects in life that each unit has the artifacts of of entire lives. Uh, granted there's shit in there that may be business oriented, but there's just I know my own unit and I don't know what the hell I'm holding on to it for. It's like my past is locked up over there and I'm trying to figure out what the fuck to do with it. So I want to go get her stuff. Now mind you, you know, mind you, when did, did I just say mind you? Jessica and I've been been together now. We've known each other 2 years. We've been together a while. And yes, it seems as though she's moving in. She was doing it piecemeal. But it's what was interesting to me is we go up there, a couple of things happen. Storage units are fucking weird places. They're just weird. They're just hallways with doors and locks, and behind each door and each lock are the artifacts of, of people's lives. And you just wonder what's in there and what they're holding on to. And I think I was a little tainted by uh, Silence of the Lambs. Uh, there's that one scene where there's a an antique car and a head. So I assume that there's a good chance that there are body parts, heads, bo- you know, things that shouldn't be anywhere in storage lockers. And that kind of creeps me out. But it also creeps me out. You go there and then there are those people that just sort of check on their shit. I'm just going to visit my shit. It's like a, a hospice for, for, for a past, for a dead past where you just go, well, you're still alive because I can come over here and see you every once in a while. But there's never one. That, there's never that many people there. And we went there and there was just this moment in the storage space where for some reason, you know, that we saw this dude, he was a big dude and he was instantly scary to me because he was in a storage space. Cause you think you judge him. I'm like, what's he doing here? He doesn't seem to be moving anything. What is he keeping in a storage space? Am I going to be part of that storage soon? Uh, should we be frightened? Freak Jessica out. He, she wouldn't get on the elevator with him. I did. Cause I like to face my fears and I'm here to talk about it. I'm not, uh, you know, cut up in a jar in a storage space, but there is something heavy about storage spaces. And then there was another guy. There were some other people there unloaded stuff and you everything everything becomes suspect uh, at a storage unit 
And one guy, I think, farted on the elevator. And what? It's horrible to do that. Uh, you know, because we got to go up and down. And now I saw it as territorial. And now I had to look at the guy that did that in the elevator and not say, you know, what the fuck is wrong with you? You couldn't do it in your storage space. Or maybe you didn't want to to store that smell you needed to let it out of you in a fucking elevator you asshole so there was that judgment going on but i think the poetry of the whole thing despite discussing someone else's gas is that what was fascinating is i've known jessica for a couple of years i love her uh we're getting along great but i didn't know her stuff i know the stuff that she has here it's mostly clothing and random things but all of a sudden we're unpacking the storage space and i don't know why it was that that moment that I realized that this woman who I've been with for a while had a life. She had a life. She had a room. She had things on the walls. She had uh, toys and hats and, and sewing machines and, and, and odds and ends and candles. And all of a sudden, and pictures of her family from when she was a child, which I never saw. It was almost as if I, th- I thought, like, what kind of monster am I that I just take this person who I have deep feelings for its surface value and judge her on, on the clutter that is her now. And I bought her a dresser, but it wasn't enough. And I'm, and then I realized like, well, we weren't living together. So now I have to be introduced to her stuff and there's books and everything else. And it was all of a sudden this entirely new dimension of this person was added to her. And also to my house. Now I have an awful lot of Pez dispensers and DVDs and books and games and things that I didn't have before. But, you know, pictures of her family. It was just, it amazed me that I'd never really had a picture of this. Like her whole life, uh, uh, whatever artifacts got her to where she is now was in the storage space. And now I'm thinking about my storage space. And and I know what's in there. There's just files and files and files of divorce papers. There's a few chairs. There's a, a shitload of my first CD that I, I hand, I did, I self-produced and is unsellable now. Uh, there's a bunch of books and magazines. I save magazines. Like somewhere in my mind, this is the thing about hoarding is that I, you know, I can hide my hoarding in a storage space because I've got magazines. For some reason, I think that the newspaper, uh, the day Clinton got elected that I bought on the street in New York is going to be worth something. But I've got a bunch of you know, shitloads of Harper's and ad busters and weird comic books and stuff. And I think part of me thinks I, when I go through that stuff and I've done it two or three times to get rid of it. But you're like, no, 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 this, this article is important. And I, you know, I got to save this. Or I'm never going to fucking read those magazines. I got to throw some shit out. But then I think about it, if Jess had thrown a lot of her stuff out, I wouldn't know her the way I do now. Just from one U-Haul drive to a storage space, she became this whole and unique person with a past when before she was just this person that was living with me that talked about a past. So maybe I should keep that shit, you know, for when it's important, for when I pass and people want to know, let's get down to the nitty gritty about the legalese involved in Marin's second divorce. It's all available. I'm paying 100 bucks a month to keep it comfortable. So you had a legitimate sinus infection. Yeah, not just when people, you mean like when people say. I think I got a sinus infection. It's part of the bullshit. So the same way when people say, uh, uh, you know, I'm not contagious anymore. 
Yeah, how do they fucking know? <laughs> I, feel I like have no idea. How does anyone know that? I feel like you're contagious because yeah. you're coughing like a crazy yeah. person. So where'd you come up? Wait, what, what, what's your, your background? You said you uh, you saw me in New York. I, where... grew, I grew up in uh, on the East Coast and uh, went to college. Uh, William & Mary, Pat Oswalt, and John Stewart went. John Stewart was... God, what was he then? He was John Leibowitz? John... John Leibowitz. Yeah, and, but he was a good... He was, you know, there's comedy clubs everywhere, and I just loved it, but I was a shitty comic. Where was that? Uh, William, William, Williamsburg, Virginia. There was comedy clubs everywhere? There was comedy clubs everywhere in the U.S. at that oh, time. You know right, I mean? but right. But even, even Williamsburg, since it was a tourist trap, had yeah. the big, the local comedy club. Patton went there too, huh? Yeah. And John. Yeah. But you're- uh, John's... I'm right in between them. John's older than me. Yeah. Patton, Oswald, and I are this- uh, I think I'm a year older than him. And I, I don't remember ever meeting him, but uh, one friend of mine told me I met him once and I was a horrible douche to him. Yeah, well, I, you know, he invites that sometimes. It yeah. took- <laughs> I think he was being a, I think he was being like a snarky guy in someone's dorm or something, and I was just a, I was an asshole. And he just yeah. busted his balls. And you know, I, I, I tried to be a comic for all of uh, a year after school. Yeah. And I lucked out. These these you know, George and Howard saw me and and uh, said that I was a, just a horrible comic. But George Shapiro, Howard, West, Howard, yeah, West, and said I was a good writer. So I, I lucked out. How the fuck did they see you if you were doing comedy a year? No, you know what I mean? I came out here. I had no... Uh, I mean, are we even talking now? We're just bullshitting, right? No, we're talking. Oh, this is pet podcast shit? <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. All right, cool. <laughs> yeah, I thought we were just doing small talk. Yeah, uh, you know what? I came it's all out, small uh, talk. I know, right? I, uh, uh, I got to LA, and uh, you know, I didn't know anybody west of the Mississippi, and my folks, uh, uh, I'm like, I got to find... Um, you know, uh, somebody to represent me. You know, the, the game out there is to get an agent or anything. But when you were in college, that was your goal. Your goal was I was going to do show business. I was going to Since I was in high school, I wanted to be a, a comic. I loved stand up even as a little kid. You know, really? I lived in Connecticut. My parents would let, you know, they'd take me into Carolines and, and shit like that when I was young and, and knew I loved it. I had old Bob Newhart records and old Bill Cosby records. Oh, really? Stuff. Yeah, obsessed. Can still do a lot of people's bits. I can still probably do some of your stuff by memory. I always would, could hear stuff and then just remember it if I thought it was a great bit. Really? I remember, I remember something that you said. I hope I remember it. Uh, it just cracked me up. It was uh, put a tinfoil hat on, and if you squint your eyes shut real tight, you can just kind of see information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The demented ramblings of you a crazy can, person. You can understand everything. Yeah. yeah. yeah and, uh, and so when stuff struck me, stand-ups, I could really lock it down and... Uh, um, you, so you kind of had a, a fundamental way of understanding how comedy works written anyway. Yeah, you know, and uh, uh, I came out here to hopefully be a comic or be a writer or something. I wanted to do it after high school. And my folks, uh, they said that if I went to L.A. after after high school that I'd have their emotional support. And, uh, you know, if I went with a college degree, uh, they might give me some financial support. <laughs> <laughs> so they they bribed you yeah. with a negotiation yeah, so I, into so going I, to college. I went to college. In other words, they were saying like, that might not work out. Yeah, it might not be a good thing. And we're not really completely <laughs> convinced that you can do it. So why don't you go get an education just in case we're right? Yeah. What, what kind of background were they from? Uh, you know, my, my dad is an American blue blood. He's a real which, deal. Yeah. My, my, my uh, great, great grandmother is Sarah Lawrence, Sarah Lawrence College. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, yeah. So you're like a real prepster. William Van Duzer <laughs> Lawrence the Fourth. No shit. Yes. So you come from that yeah. whole thing. Yeah, and my my mom is I don't uh, want to be an asshole, but you kinda no. looked apart. I, it's not bad, right? I look from uh, everybody you ever met from Connecticut. It, absolutely. Yeah, you wore the dock siders and yeah, the, yeah, 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 sure. the you know, Ralph Lauren shirts yeah, all the I, time. I, I wore socks today just so you wouldn't mock me, man. You'd probably kick some ass in your day <laughs> just because people had uh, just a douche. Yeah, yeah, just because they had less money than you or yeah. came from the other side of the tracks. But no, you know the 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 truth is that my mom is uh, 
total white trash. First person uh, in her family to ever go to college. So was there was there some concern amongst the blue bloods that the, your dad was polluting was a, the gene pool? It was a solid mix. It was my mom got a full scholarship to Rollins College in Winter Park, Florida. You know, and because uh, she was really smart, she and, was a Florida person. Yeah, she her my my mom's whole family are largemouth bass fishing guides on the St. Johns River in Florida. How'd your dad hook Bob's up with her? Big bass. Yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, my dad, my dad went to Rollins because it's where spoiled little fuck ups go. You know, oh, so uh, he fucked and, up in the and family. Went to Rollins, said, right. and my mom went there because she got a free ride to college, and that was the way she could go to school. I love it when yeah. when uh, aristocratic. Uh, aristocratically yeah, yeah. <laughs> blooded people, you know, dip into the working people. Yeah, you mix all blood and see what happens. What, what does it mean exactly, though? Like, I've always wondered that to be a blue blood. Does that mean there's some sort of secret well of money that you know goes what? on for generations? I, I mean, th I think it depends on how your family works. You know, my dad and his brother are the first guys. Here's what it means: they're the first guys in their family to work for a living in many, many generations. So what, what's okay. the van? Were you part of the Dutch? Uh, yeah, Van Duzer middle. So, okay, so, so. So it's like years and years ago, William, you know, William Lawrence married somebody Van Duzer. Like the, like the New York Dutchess? The, yeah, New York oh, Dutchess. Really? He was a real estate magnate. The original, the original William Lawrence was, I've read a bunch about it. He was, uh, uh, he wasn't a good guy and he was a real estate baron and kind of a heartless businessman. Lawrence was. Yeah, and he met this woman named Sarah Bates who was, you know, he got changed by a lady. It's a romantic story because she was a, a poet and an artist and she believed that- uh, What there, generation are we talking about? The 1700s? 18. Okay. Yeah, and she believed that uh, women didn't have a fair shake in the arts and uh, he didn't give a shit until he wanted to get laid, obviously, but he married her. So there's a bit of a history of yeah, this in and when, when, all right. <laughs> <laughs> and when she died, yeah. uh, he had their estate turned into a Sarah Lawrence College, an all-girls college for the arts. As, a, okay. as kind of a gift to uh, to you know to her memory, right? So the Van Duzer side though was that like part of that whole like kind of original pre American Revolution Dutch landowning? Yeah, yeah. So there was arranged marriages and, and I'm sure there of, was, man. I don't I don't go back that far. You know what I mean? Because I barely. Do you uh, want to follow the money? I got a trail. There's eventually there'll be a money trail. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so my dad, my dad and his brother, their whole thing with fam yeah with family dough is. Uh, uh, if you're going to have a life worth living at all, you can never touch any family money. You know what I mean, that's if you're that guy, if you're just a trust the, fund guy, because you're, you're, they grew up with those guys. All you end up doing is ending uh, ending up with a needle in your arm, yeah. saying you hung out with Andy Warhol. Yeah, my dad, my dad's, all my dad's friends that lived that life, none of them lived a good life after childhood. Really? Because yeah. they're they're complete retards. Yeah, there's no they're, reason to do anything. There's no reason to have ambition. They're, they just drift. Yeah, I, I had that with no money. That's uh, nice. You pulled it off <laughs> early on. I, I, I think I had a very subverted uh, ambition. That made me laugh my headphones off. <laughs> it's hard to pull off with no dough, man. <laughs> well, yeah, not if you're massively depressed and completely filled of uh, with bitterness. Uh, you're you're a dark comic. Well, you're, it went away. I'm getting lighter. You are, by the way. It's a, but it's, it's it's what's fascinating about this show for me is the change in, because you know I told you I study comics and and. And just liked it. And the change in your vibe. I mean, you're still, you know, kind of having an angry undercurrent yeah. to your stand up yeah. and stuff, but it's not as uh it's not as dark. Yeah, I think what happened is I just shifted uh into talking about what was really going on underneath whatever that angry shit was. Yeah. You know, because there's something about comedy that you have this you have this this weird tool where you can make people laugh and you can make people think, but you can also make people miserable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's sort of that can be the subtext, but I was sort of, it was sort of becoming my main thing. Uh, it's, a, it's a weird talent to have. Well, it's a, it's a it's a useless talent. Yeah, it's the guy you don't want at parties. That's right. It, it, exactly. He's <laughs> it, the one guy that might be able to convince one girl that he's a genius, and then drain her of her life force. <laughs>
<laughs> so that's how that works. So, all right. So you grew up pretty, which part of Connecticut? Which town? Main streets. Uh, Ridgefield. Uh-huh. Ridgefield, Westport, Greenwich, New Canaan, and all the, you know, the bullshit. I do know the bullshit. I went to school at BU. Did you? Oh, you know, BC was down yeah. the street. Yeah. I knew of you guys. Yeah. I knew you existed. I'd <laughs> met you before. Uh, I, I think I had a couple of friends that were kind of part of it. <laughs> yeah. But is there some sort of club that your dad belongs to other than just being blue blood? No, nah, you know what? My dad, I, 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 I don't want to sound uh, hokey, but he broke the mold. You know, he went out, he married a girl that he loved, you know, regardless of background. He so there's no arranged marriage? Yeah, worked the worked to his whole, you know, worked from 21 until he retired for the same company, did, did it all himself, you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and maybe... To, I mean, I had a great childhood, uh, you know, but by the same token, uh, so concerned that I don't become one of those guys. You know, I had to work, had jobs since I was 15, did all that shit. That, that Were you hanging out with any of those dudes? You know, the ones that are fairly famous. What's the guy that, uh, you know, uh, raped and killed that girl in the William park? William Kennedy Smith, that guy? Or the, no, uh, oh, the, the, dude in, uh, the dude in Greenwich. Yeah. yeah. No, you know what, though? Those, uh, it was, uh, I, the only thing I remember about that in Connecticut was uh, that I knew one of the guys... It was 60 Minutes. There was a scandal at Choate of people that were selling below, you know, yeah. and uh, I knew one of those dudes just because, <laughs> yeah, I went, to, <laughs> I, went to a, I went to a high school that you could get like an eight ball in the bathroom. Uh, preppy you know I mean? blow dealers, man. Oh, you can you, you'd go, I, I still say now, I'm like, hey, I went to public school. Yeah. And then I'm like, yeah, but then again, the public high school in Ridgefield, there's like sobs and beamers, you know, <laughs> yeah. in the kids parking lot, you know. Sure. It's all a matter of where it's located, yeah. right? Well, that's hilarious. So then you, well, that's a pretty charmed childhood in a way. I did. I lucked out. Yeah. And you're, I've lucked out constantly, man. I, I, I have a life philosophy. Wow, this sounds I, like a sad story. No, I was just <laughs> I literally, everything, I annoy people. I, at least I acknowledge I'm the luckiest guy on the face of the earth. Everything is goes everything goes my way man it's working out for me well i mean that's not without talent clearly i i mean how did it uh how did you get from i mean you got big you got big management and you come out here they saw you do stand-up was that what happened they saw you basically had a connection the one person my mom knew from hollywood she was an auctioneer was this guy that wrote for the old dick van dyke show and he said my managers uh my agents were these guys named howard west and george shapiro i don't even know if they work in the industry anymore shapiro and west yeah and I was watching Seinfeld, and those guys produced that show. Yeah, I, I know that I, I met with those guys. I I don't. That's a good question. But I thought your manager was George Shapiro. Uh, my managers, uh, uh, they were agents, and then they went to then they went to managers. But they were also producers and stuff. So I, I just tracked them down and harassed them. So I, I, you know, when when you come out to L.A. or New York to get an agent, you have like twenty people you can write letters to to try and get them to meet with you and help yeah. you out. I, I had one, and they were it. So I just tortured those guys. Until so you they did, met you, with me. Oh, you pestered him. Tortured him, tortured him, and then, you know, he- How'd that he, look? You he, just kept calling? Calling, sending scripts, trying to write funny letters, sending packets of jokes, you know, here's a- It's it, funny that you, that a lot of people forget that you have to do that, and that it, it's interesting that it helps that you weren't insecure, because, like, I was also that kind of person where I got a manager, and as soon as I felt like he wasn't paying attention to me, yeah. I'd call him every day. Yeah. I'd, I'd yell at him. I'd, it was horrible. You gotta, though. Yeah, I, mean, I know. It's, it's, it's the weirdest, I mean, so many kids come out here thinking, like, I'm gonna write something where I'm going to perform and that's going to happen and the job is really getting somebody to sell you. you know? Right. Be, and, and just getting them to pay attention to you. Yeah, I know. Because I, I, you're I'm not, here. I'm fucking here. Yeah, they're, they're, uh, you're not the only guy. <laughs> like, I know comics. I introduce them to somebody. They're like, yeah, I called him. I never got word back. It's like, we well, have to call him five times a day until yeah. they're like, what the fuck does he want? Yeah. And then go, I'm here. Let's do this. <laughs> I, I tell, I teach a little bit and I tell kids where? that, that uh, at the writer, there's Writers Guild and some colleges and stuff. Writers you teach college kids? Well, I go, you know, I get to, it's a cherry gig, man. You get to go in and be a Hollywood guest lecturer. You know, yeah. the Writers Guild, they have this showrunners training program or a writers training program. And one of the things you tell all of them is it's not, 
mean-spirited, but you have to realize that all these guys picture you as a bag of money. You know yeah. what I mean? And you have to somehow convince them early on that you're a big bag of money and not a tiny bag of money. You know, and uh, I remember oh, the scam shit, I did that's too. Not, I didn't never did that. Uh, I was, never had the bag I was of money. Scamming, man. I mean, with Howard and George, you know. Uh, and they had done Seinfeld. They had, they were already producing Seinfeld. They had writers and comics. And what I, was that dude that used to work with them? The writer Richie. Oh, uh, do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah. Kind of a, a, a yeah. slightly heavy set, oh, kind of no. intense, rambling Jewish dude. Because I, I met no way, him. rambling Jewish dude. Yeah, would you? <laughs> <laughs> In Hollywood, hold on, that Stop. narrows it down to. Let me Google that, rambling Jewish dude. Oh, it's the IMDb page for everyone. <laughs> the, 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 I scammed those guys with. Uh, it taken me like a year to write nine scripts, and I, I I pretended, you know, I gave him one, and then pretended that I wrote the other eight. Yeah, in like I'm gonna three weeks. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm like, yeah. I'm a really prolific writer. I'm yeah. the type of guy that's gonna be giving you guys stuff every day. What'd you give them? Just uh, packets of jokes, material, spec scripts for sitcoms, you know. And what uh, was your first gig? My first job. This is the the oh god. Oh, you know what's weird is it, it, I, I I had a bad view of how Hollywood worked because those guys are so old and tied into Hollywood. They signed me. After like six months, yeah. First, they convinced me I was a shitty comic, and they were right, and that I could be. They a, want you to get out of that right away. Oh they, yeah, they they, they, th they saw yeah. There's money in writing. There's not money in uh and uh you know instead they had a billion stand ups. Yeah, they don't. They, stand ups to them are sort of like, is he still doing it? Yeah. And what, I don't know what to do with him. Is there a booking agent that no? He's not funny. And and you know those guys had they had Jerry and they had Andy Kaufman in the day, and so they 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 had their big comic rides, and I wasn't going to be that. But uh, I signed with those guys on a. Wednesday and Monday, I was a staff writer on a sitcom called Billy, and it was, uh, um, I only remember it, the bosses were really nice and they helped me, is that a comic, Billy Connolly. Yeah, sure. Know, um, Billy and, Connolly! Yeah, dude. Funny comic, and he had taken over for- uh, uh, Did you talk to him? I did. Because I'll tell you, man, I had breakfast with him once just yeah. by coincidence, and it was the most, one of the more intense experiences I've ever had. He goes right to it. <laughs> yeah, uh, man. I'm ten, like... 10 minutes in and hearing about why he stopped drinking, and it was waking up on a plane, missing a tooth. Yeah, and you, know, you, and you don't yeah. have a say, and all of a huh. sudden you feel like you're being energized. You're like, I'm using Billy Connolly as a battery for my life right now. <laughs> Plus, I, I had the weird experience of when he's really going, I can't. It's not that his accent's that harsh, but I, I don't pick up accents well at yeah, all. Yeah, no, it's right. And so I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm just nodding at the right spot. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I hope that was a nod <laughs> moment. Following his timing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that sounded like a beat. Oh, yeah. yeah sure, yeah. yeah. The only thing I remember about that gig is no one knew about that TV show, and the cast and crew gift was a jean jacket that said Billy on the pocket, and it had, yeah. a, it had a heart yeah. dotting the eye. Yeah. And uh, that's my name. You know yes. I mean? And then the guy's, like, the guy's like, hey, here's your present. I'm like, I don't fucking want this. They're like, can't, can't. People are going to think I'm an idiot. <laughs> I'm Billy. Hello. I'm just the guy that wears his name on his jean coat. This is so sad. There's like two things wrong with that, depending on what year it was. Jean coat and name on it. Uh, and I was, I was, too, I was, you know, I was the wrong guy back then to be doing that stuff too. I had white hair, peroxide hair. Oh, really? I was trying not to be Connecticut guy. Yeah. So you're anti-Connecticut guy and just like classic uh, Hollywood Cla douchebag classic guy. Classic Hollywood douchebag, cliche, partying too much. Yeah. And, you know, having, what year was that? Shoot, 1991. So then, okay, so you go from Billy, which obviously didn't last. Nah, but those guys, you know, I, I lucked out every guy I've worked for, uh, People make jokes that Hollywood is full of dicks, and I, I think that every business is full of, of, of assholes. But just Hollywood, they're higher profile. Yeah, I, I you know most of the people for me really uh, helped me out and championed me. And so that guy, you know, those bosses hooked me up with my next job. Those bosses hooked me, kept going. 
I'd say the downside was I got fired off of every job I had until I created the show, pretty much. Really? Yeah. For got, what reason? You were a staff writer. You never were the head writer. I in got any room? fired off of uh, Friends, The Nanny, Boy Meets World. Um, I, well, see, I think that those might be uh, badges of honor in the big picture. I hope so. <laughs> You're doing all right. I mean, why would you get uh, fired off of Friends? Did you piss off? I just like in my fantasy, like you know. You know, Schwimmer comes in and says, I'm not going to read this shit. Yeah. And you're like, fuck you. No. Oh, damn you know, it. I didn't have, um, I thought I could do things better. I didn't, I didn't have a, the, the amount of respect that I think a young kid should have for the people that are actually paying a lot of money to sit around and write jokes. So you were a dick. I was a little bit dick. That's great. Yeah. That's uh, great. And you, and see, I like it when dicks succeed. It makes me happy. I regret it because friends, I don't think I was being a bad person. I was just being a snarky, wise ass to the, somebody in charge uh-huh. and uh to get fired and then literally overnight that show is the cover of rolling stone and right. just absolutely everywhere and sounds like, like you had a, a slight uh uh it's an epiphany a well bit. yeah you had titus syndrome yeah. chris titus syndrome <laughs> that's where you, you just piss off the wrong people and and oh, you're boy. fucking shut down the best thing about that show is the there's the two bosses the one that fired me just kicked me to the curb the other one was nice and thought that i had gotten a little bit of a bad rap and set me up with my next gig with this guy gary goldberg and he had created all these TV shows, and he mentored me, and we, you know, we created Spin City together. All right. Well, let me ask you a couple of questions about television. Now, you sure. must have been a good writer. You wouldn't, because I, I often tell comics now, because I seem to be professor comedy sometimes, yeah. and I get a lot of emails from dudes. And when I started, it was like you know, all I wanted to be was a comic, and quite honestly, I couldn't do anything else. Yeah. I mean, when I watch Breaking Bad, or even when I watch, it's uh, a great show. By it's, way. but it's one of those things. Like it, with Scrubs, you did something completely new. I think for television, oh, for for live tell, you know, for people television. Yeah. And and it's like there's some. I I look at things and I'm like, I don't know where the fuck that comes from or how you do that. So I know I can't do that. Where how do you was there a party with this rebellious spirit that 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 thought that uh, the shows you were writing on were shit or that TV was shit? You know, I know you don't want to. No, no, I I got no problems being honest. Look, the the some of the gigs I thought that you know I didn't have that level of respect for like. Uh, here's an example of a show I wasn't on. Family Matters. I thought that show sucked. I never wrote on it. That show made quazillions of dollars for lots of people, and so and and lots of people in the world loved it. So I never connect connected over to me that that must have merit, right? And mm-hmm. so, so on some jobs, I was felt that I was above the material, which was a, a when a you were young that makes wrong, you look bad, and it's a wrong attitude. You're getting paid. The fact that you're making even as a staff writer back then is like twenty six hundred a week to write jokes. Yeah, who gives a shit if they suck? Yeah, you know, my my dad used to say, "You think I enjoyed selling copy machines? <laughs> what are you fucking idiot? I mean, you don't have to enjoy it's it. It's America. You know, right? It's sales. Yeah. That's your job, <laughs> right? And then the uh, Friends, I actually thought it was a well written show. Uh, I didn't have a talent that some people have, which is the weirdest thing about writing on a TV show is your job isn't to write what you think is funny. It's to write what whoever created that show thinks is funny. And also to write for the characters. Right. And there's a subtle difference there, you know, that uh, I could always write things in my own voice and I wasn't always great at writing in uh, another showrunner. Oh, I voice. get it. You know, the things that comics can do is write, they can host, yeah. uh, they can act sometimes, and they can do stand-up. You know, that's it. So I would, uh, you know, try to be proficient at all those different things. And the thing that I was never able to do because I was more of a dick than you was work with other people people yeah. and the fact is is that when someone gets into writing if you're good enough you'll be carried mm-hmm. i mean you'll, you'll you can run for a it's while a, it's a fraternity yeah. yeah if you if you don't ruffle feathers and you're over a bar of talent right i always say that to people if you're if you're over that bar it ultimately becomes about patience and your ability on some levels to 
you know, not be a boat rocker, you know what I mean? Right. To, to, to contribute, to be someone that, that people like having around and you can make a career, you know, out of that. And then the next step, you're right. Um, I think the next step to creating shows and stuff is, uh, uh, you know, I don't want to sound self-aggrandizing, but it becomes less about the funny and more about structure and having like some kind of vision for a world, you know, which, uh, 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 and I certainly don't put myself you know, I'm, not, I'm, I'm embarrassed because I feel like I'm talking about myself, but you said Breaking Bad, for instance. I yeah. look at that world, and I'm like, that is fucking awesome. You know I mean, I couldn't come up with that world. I don't know how he structured that world. I want to believe that he's got an end plan you know, for Walt, you know, that he, that he knows where that, that, that show ends. Well, I just talked to him. I yeah. just talked to Cranston, and I, you know, it, it became very clear to me that he did have a general sense of what was to happen. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, a, a beginning point, an end point, but it seemed like a lot of the middle was was still open for kind of creativity. Well, I think that's what's cool if you if you do ever equate television to art, um, you know, you you have to let the characters and uh, the work kind of own where it's going to go next. You well, know what I mean, cuz well, even what you picture in your head it changes the second that there's people saying those words and Well, well talk to me about that. So you co-created Spin City. Yeah. Uh Gary, you know, as cool as uh, Mike Fox wanted to get back in TV. Um, and he really liked, uh, talk about a fucking hero, dude. I saw him on Curb Your Enthusiasm and what a the, dude, man. He's such I, I a good guy. It's like it, the humility of just having that, you know, horrendous problem yeah. and, and then also sort of like owning it and working within the comedy of that. I, that's fucking profound. I, he changed. Yeah. I think that the, you have these seminal experiences when you come into entertainment or any industry that, that shape who you are as a guy. And for me, the first time that I worked with, uh, you know, an icon or, you know, an idol of mine for him to be actually the guy that you'd hope he'd be. Yeah. You know, that's such a gift considering how many Hollywood stories you're going to hear of like, Hey, I finally met so-and-so and he's a douche. Yeah. You yeah. Know what I mean? And, yeah. uh, and Mike was just a, a great dude and he wanted to do a modern sitcom, you know, like friends or, you know, with, with lots of scenes as a grown up, as a grown up, And, but he wanted Gary there to kind of, uh, you know, make him feel safe. And Gary's a great showrunner. And, uh, uh, so Gary plucked me out of, you know, I was 25. He plucked me out and we created the show and wrote the pilot together. It was a, it was unbelievable experience. Yeah. Gary Goldberg sent me to show running camp. You know, he, uh, he taught me how to do all this stuff. I didn't know how to do anything. I didn't go to film school. Now, what does it mean to be a showrunner? It means that you, uh, you're not just the head writer. You edit the show, you do final cut, you put the music in, you cast it, you talk to the actors at rehearsal, you're in charge of the director. Yeah, it gets to, you get to be king shit. Yeah. It's like director of a movie. And that, you get that's, to do everything. And they're, a good showrunner is in demand always. It's, it, it's a, it, you can work forever if you can show that you can pull it off because it's a weird skill set because it's not just, you know, you went out there to be a funny writer and if you have the weird ability to do the other things without making everybody hate you and without hemorrhaging money because you're always behind, it's uh, you can work forever. So then, like your your jobs are really how how to uh, take the script, you know, integrate the story, decide what needs to be cut. Yeah, you're almost yeah, you, you know, outline doing... it. You do the final draft usually yourself. You, know, yeah. you take it home on the weekends and do a pass to try and make it sound the same. You cut it. You pick the songs. Uh, when you walk down, if it's if the director has made it so it's not funny, you say, hey, this joke's going to be funnier if you put these two people here. Uh -huh. I mean, and you, uh -huh. you do, uh, it's a great gig. You do everything. The only downside is it gets you, it pulls you away a little bit of what you got out there to do in the first place, which is write funny shit, you know? And but you it start, gives you a whole other skill set, and it's yeah. probably a lot more work. And the reason that it's in demand is there's no training ground for it. It's not that you have a special innate skill necessarily. I mean, some people have an acumen. Right. But Gary... 
I remember because he spent the first two years, he would be like, this is how you edit the show. This is how you talk to actors. They're all right. fucking crazy. Yeah. Talk to them like this. Yeah. This is how you do. How do you talk to actors? Uh, what's that? You, you, like one children? Of the, one of the biggest That's gags. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> one of the biggest gags ever was he, uh, he's always, you know, I asked Barry Boswick, who's a yeah. great guy, once what he thought about his character while we were trapped in Gary's office. And like yeah. two hours later, Gary's like, never fucking ask an actor that unless you have an escape plan. You know, he's like, you gotta ask him shit like that on the move or while you're getting in a cab, you know. <laughs> Because <laughs> he's like, they've thought about it. They've thought about it way too much, you know? And uh, uh, I remember thanking Gary. I, I didn't know why he was teaching me all to, how to do all this stuff. I'm like, what a benevolent dude. And then, like, in the second year, he said, because uh, he never moved from L.A. to New York. He was just there right. back and forth. And during the second year, he said, uh, hey, uh, you think you got it? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, all right, I'll see you around. <laughs> like, oh, now I understand why he's teaching me to do this. Yeah, yeah. So you know he can I mean? just sit and watch the money come in and you can do the work. <laughs> so that was on for what? How many years? Seven? Six, six, six years. Yeah. And you and Sheen was on that towards the end, yeah, right? Yeah, Mike, Mike was only going to do it for four years in... It was a weird experience because in my twenties, and we knew going in, just Gary and I, that he was, you know, he was ill. And uh, oh, really? He was at the beginning of that. Yeah, part of his plan. I mean, this is how, you know, ahead of the curve that guy was. He knew he had big plans. You know, he knew he was sick. He was going to do it for four years. He wanted to syndicate that show, and he knew already that he was going to be kind of a public voice for Parkinson's eventually. You know, yeah. and that he was. I mean, that you know, he could have told you early on that that the Michael J. Fox Foundation was going to absorb the National Parkinson's Foundation and be the main thing. He knew, uh -huh. he knew it was going to be a big deal. So uh -huh. we knew he was four years and out, and then we had to cast somebody else uh, after that, and that was Charlie. And how was Charlie at that point? Uh, lovely dude. I yeah. got to tell you, man, it's a, I, can, I love laughing at this train wreck shit usually. Yeah. And I'm, this is the first time I've ever had the experience that when you know when Charlie first came on there, I only met him once or twice. Yeah. Because I, I, you know, I, I, I had left, and uh, uh, he... He came with his dad, and he had just gotten really sober and clean, and saw it as his the big, first time. Yeah, saw it as big second shot. Yeah, and uh, because of that, behaved impeccably as the nicest and kindest guy to cast crew and writers, and uh, uh, was treated in kind. Yeah, and so it's the first time I've seen one of these kind of you know burnout th moments that I haven't been able to enjoy it with the rest of the people. The the dark comedy of it, it really makes me sad because something. There's, you know, there's a, there's a off button that went there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree. Did you watch the roast? Yeah. And did it hurt you? You know, it's fucked up, man. It's, a lot of stuff made me laugh. You yeah. Know, but, and then, but then the only thing that hurt me was the, uh, you, when you, if you're an uh, introspective guy, the, what are you, what am I laughing at? Yeah. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Which is, it's tough. What, what does it indicate about the, the, the culture of television and American culture in general that you know, it's not so much that there, there are no lines, Yeah. but, but to what? You know where is where where's the cutoff between entertainment and and just being fucking mean? Evil? Yeah, don't you think it's a snowball rolling down a hill though, man? Because with Charlie, I, I I feel too that when you see on a mass level that it's okay to laugh at the meanness of this, I think it bleeds into other things that that you're suddenly allowed to laugh. You know, you, you know, and it. And it no, know, yeah, there's me... there's no there's no real end to it, and, yeah. it, and it, it it brings up issues. It's not even political correctness; it's just fucking you know decency. Yeah, that like, are we do do we need to fucking hurt to feel? Yeah, I mean, it's, are we that numb? You, you know, okay, because uh, like I've said lately, that the real the only real edginess is honesty. Mm -hmm. You know, because that makes people uncomfortable, and people don't really know what. Yeah, to you do say with what it. they're really thinking, like to talk to somebody about 
this specifically right. and make them uncomfortable, I'd be okay with it. Yeah. Right. And, and, and then that, that's weird, but there's something about meanness that reveals a rawness that sometimes can provoke an emotion. But when it's done like that, it's like, ah, <laughs> I don't know, man. I've been spiraling about this because there's a great documentary on about Bartman. Uh, about that Cubs fan, you know, that uh, and how abusive that entire city and the media was to that kid. You know? Wait, I don't know the story. Uh, you you got to watch it. You'll love it. But it's basically the Cubs were finally going to have their chance to win the World Series, and this kid reached over on a foul ball and tried to catch it and knocked it out of the Cub left fielder's glove. If the Mo- right. Moises Alou, if he had caught it, the Cubs would have won that game and arguably won the World Series. Right. Uh, instead... You know, he knocked it out of his his home team. He's a huge Cubs fan. Yeah. Uh, out of his, uh, uh, you know, the player's uh, glove. Uh, they went on to lose that game and, and, and be knocked out. And uh, the documentary is how the media turned on him. Bartman became a word. They have video of everybody in the stands throwing beer on this poor kid, you know, and, uh, and swearing at him. And, and how he handled it was, I'm so sorry. I've been a fan my whole life. It was a mistake. And just owned it, and yet even this young innocent, they didn't drop it, and they didn't let it go. That city and the people, and he became a pariah there. And it's and it was literally a documentary. How old about, is he now? I don't know. I would say probably got to be forty now. Did they know? talk to him? Uh, no, they talked a lot about him. You know what I mean? And it's so they sad, couldn't get him for the interview. It's a sad, sad story. So they know? could. And, if he's and not in it, they and could. It's a, yeah, and it's, and it's got media people basically saying, you know, it's uh, it's something. You know, because Chicago still hasn't won since, and he, that you know, he's like the Red Sox. You know, the Buckner thing went away. You know, because the Red Sox eventually won, right? And they had Buckner on there going, you know, there's got to be a line as a fan that you just so what it means to be a decent person and a moral human. Yeah. I know, and and it's just odd that they didn't get him for the if they couldn't get him for the interview, then he's probably still. I think he's still a damaged dude from you know, that. Yeah, to me, so see that's yeah. the interesting story. I mean, if he said I'm not talking about it, you know, like he's in some sort of shame witness protection program. <laughs> <laughs> you know, over a, he's ba- over a baseball yeah, game. He's changed right? his identity for because of public shame. All right, we'll get into like uh, into Scrubs now. At what point did you realize that? Well, you know, Spin City's a great show. You work with great people, and then certainly it talks a little bit about you know public perception. Uh, but did you feel that it was a smart show and that it, it had a? I thought that it would do. You know, it's weird, man. You, you talked about people TV, network TV. I think what you shoot for sometimes are shows. Hopefully that everybody you know what you're really shooting for is a show that everybody will watch mass appeal and your goal is to say hey is there something that is smart and funny enough that my friends and i would still watch it and like it not hate on it but that also has a chance you know to 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 get you know joe q public who's not a tv nerd to to actually like it so you gotta i thought spin city walked that line pretty well and it, now, okay, so we talked a little bit about your attitude, but where is there time, even though you're a working writer, you're still generating something that people are going to judge in a fairly big way. Was there times where you were working on other shows where you were ashamed of what you were doing? Oh, but when I was younger, you mean? Yeah. When I was younger, yeah. You know, I got, I got, uh, <laughs> uh, I worked on Boy Meets World uh-huh. and uh, it was a hokey kid show to me. I got fired, rightfully so for not understanding the emotional spine of the show. But I remember the thing that pissed me Why, off. Why, because you hated kids? Yeah, yeah. probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not doing great with mine. The, uh, the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, uh, I remember because I wrote this one episode of the show, and I'm like, I'm going to try and make it good, even though I don't love the show. And I did put in this line, because it's a kid's show, and it's about a kid. The first time a kid becomes embarrassed by his dad. It's like a rite of passage. You know? Yeah. And I wrote this line because I knew he would like it. Uh, the young kid said, hey, I can't believe I hurt my dad because I love him more than anybody in the world. Cheesy line. Yeah. 
the showrunner took that line and he had that kid he became a theme for the episodes so he had that kid say it like nine times in the yeah. show like it became the, the thing that the kid right, says the callback. so that when it went on TV uh, back then there's still message machines I came home and my machine was like you have 27 messages and it was all my fucking idiot friends you know that I grew up with going can't believe I hurt my dad I love him more than anybody in the whole world dude you know hey Bill just wanted you to know I can't believe I hurt my dad I loved him more than anybody in the world you know and it just uh, sent me into a rage spiral of friends like, yeah, yeah, yeah. huh like, what am I doing this sucks uh <laughs> <laughs> you can trace a straight line from that message machine to me getting shit canned yeah. about like a week later, yeah. Oh, yeah, consumed you? Yeah, it did, it did. It filled me with self-hate, you know. Uh -huh. uh, I just wanted to be a cool guy, and I wasn't a cool guy. Well, if you didn't go to Harvard and, and you weren't on the Lampoon, you couldn't get the cool guy writing gigs. You know, those... Yeah, but didn't they understand that your family was Sarah Lawrence? I felt like I should have worn a t-shirt or something, right? <laughs> Real blue blood, <laughs> you Jewish assholes. <laughs> it's weird how we've taken an anti-Semitic turn, but I'm, a, I'm okay with it. No, I yeah. get it, and I, you know, and I do it frequently as a Jew. But it's yeah. just interesting. That I don't, but I feel like you're allowed. Yeah, you no, know? I am allowed. It's, 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 it's a more of a tightrope for me, my friend. But that's a, but that's an interesting idea that there's there's Harvard and then there's real American aristocracy. I mean, you know, Harvard was put into place to train and 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 educate that aristocracy, but then they had to bend their ways a little bit yeah, yeah. so they wouldn't get in trouble, and they had eventually let Jews in, and now we have uh, the uh, Hollywood fraternity of yes. Harvard people. It's, it's rightfully so. I but guess. I, I actually, you know. I, I probably should call myself out on that. I mean, people have brought it to my attention that it is not as Jewish as it used to be. That show business is very diverse. It is, and that you know, it's not you know a bunch of you except know, for women. No, I'm uh, sorry, <laughs> that's, that's probably true. I would though. say it's the toughest road in TV still. TV writing for women. Yeah, but there's a few. Yeah, there, I mean, no, there are. I just think that it's. Uh, I think the deck's still stacked against them. So Scrubs was, I think, by most um, people's assessment, a, a groundbreaking show and in, instruction. In it, it, do you feel that was there a way that you what was the inception of you know what? of sort of you know detaching from a straight ensemble and making it a little fucking wild yeah i'll tell you the the, the cool thing about scrubs and you've been kind of building to it was i i, I never thought it'd be on tv and i just thought right because it was a weird show i i had a buddy that i went to college with he's one of my closest friends his name's jd and as when we would have a beer, hearing him talk about his first day of work, like as scary as anybody's first day of is work. Is he a doctor? He is. Oh, okay. Yeah, as scary as anybody's first day of work, except you're responsible for people living or dying. You yeah. Know, it was uh, uh, insanely interesting to me. And then uh, he's the nicest guy in the world, seeing him get darker and darker in his humor, you know, uh, showing up somewhere. He's like, yeah, hey, I was able to make it on time because luckily this uh, dude kicked on the table before I had to operate. You know, that stuff. It's just see. work. Yeah, it's yeah. just work. I'm like, that's a good TV show. And uh, I love this book called House of God about the medical industry. I read and, uh, that book. It's a good book. Holy know? fuck! I read that book a while ago. Wasn't was hospital based on that? Um, the, yeah, the, yeah. They they made they uh, uh, hospitals loosely based on it, but it also stayed, it started the vernacular for all medicine. But they did a House of God kind of movie once uh, as well. But it was like that George C. Scott movie yeah. that I think uh, was, Which was, was uh, that Patty Chayefsky. Patty Chayefsky. So, such a weird movie with the Indian. It's and a the, great yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, uh, you know, when my, because my father's a doctor. Yeah, so like, okay. you know, and I remember when that movie came out, I was a kid and he went and saw it and he interned at that fucking hospital. No way. At Metropolitan yeah. in New York. Yeah. And uh, he said it was, it, it was just like that. And I'm like, it can be just like That's that. That's what I loved, man. Because my, my, my wife's, dad was a surgeon at Lenox Hill uh -huh. and uh, uh, you know they, he was like it was, it was that fucked up it's that fucked up the people dynamics and I'm like I'm gonna write a weird show it'll never be on TV best case people think I wrote a cool pilot and but a comedy some more work yeah comedy because that's different because now like I'm seeing it in a different way just by you describing it to me because the 
the the mainstay of 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 hospital shows was just it, it was easy drama people didn't like it that's the one of the first roadblocks is people didn't like the idea of doctors being anybody other than people that kick doors open and yell stat especially right. the the networks and stuff and, and that you you work. could run any you know doctor shows can last forever because you can run any kind of yeah. fucked up you know drama through a hospital without that I, I i my whole pitch was i said you can do broad silly fucked up comedy and you can switch gears in a heartbeat because you're in a hospital, you know, and uh, uh, and have life or death stakes and do shows that actually have some emotional stakes. And they didn't believe we could do it, and uh, uh, but they were cool enough to give us a shot. I don't know how it happened. It was a very weird situation. Like my, I don't know that my father had a great sense of humor, but they come very, they become very uh, practical about things that would be horrifying to regular people, without a doubt. And like in talking about the, the sort of weird humor, of, I, t I knew a guy that was in medical school and him and his buddies took a dick out of the <laughs> uh, pathology lab, yeah. like an amputated dick, yeah. and brought it to a baseball game and threw it in that trough urinal. Yeah. <laughs> just just didn't, watch, <laughs> didn't watch people react to it. I'd say I find that shit funny. All the medical stories we did in that show are real. Uh, even the pilot. And it was something that I remember because the network said, this is bad for your hero. You know, you have a hero character on the network show. My buddy JD, who's a cardiologist, he's a cardiologist slash heart surgeon now. Uh, he, uh, uh, he said on my first day, you know, uh, uh, there, when you get a code, yeah. whoever, whoever is the closest first into the room runs the code. Yeah. And he's running into a room of some patient that's having a heart attack. And he's like, as I'm running, I realize if I get there fucking first, I got to run this thing. And he's like, so I stopped and hid in the closet. You know oh my god! And uh, and, uh, and uh, I put that show, that scene in the pilot. It's still in it. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? And he's like, because you know, there's other doctors coming, so it's not like you're going to let the guy die. It's just like I was not ready to do that yet. You know, and the second that that was in a TV script, you know, the network was like, "This is the guy we're supposed to root for. He's hiding." I'm yeah, like, I know. He's fucking. He's twenty three. Yeah, he's twenty three yeah, years yeah. old. You know, he doesn't and know he's, what he's yeah, And he so, sold him on it. Yeah. Well, that's it, it, you. You made an amazing balance, but there was also sort of like departures into weirdness. That's what that, I like. Yeah, I, I, that I think. You know, I, I don't remember, like, it seems that a lot of shows now are doing a little more of that, where you can sort of detach from, from, reality, the, from the integrity of the ensemble uh, to just serve comedy purposes. It was That was a comedy writer wank that actually worked, which was, uh, there's had been shows with voiceover before, but it was a passive voiceover. It was like a narrator. Yeah. This is what happened, and then this happened, and then yeah. this happened. Right. You know? And I said, look, man, if you're going to do a voiceover, wouldn't it be fun to do somebody with a weird, fucked up perspective that gave you the excuse to do all the, you know, smoke and pot jokes that comedy writers sit around and riff on for hours and never get in shows? Right. And so that was part of the pitch for me was, you know, that this that, that there's a first person narrator, but everything is slanted towards his worldview. And uh, you get to see what's going on in his brain. And it's an excuse to depart completely, do you know what I mean, from uh, reality without ever compromising um, the drama or the story that was going on, because you know it's fake. It's just in his head. Ah, it, gave, it, gave yeah. us an, it gave us an excuse to do insane shit. It's just opened the doors yeah. to comedy writing. Yeah, and I don't think I don't think people had done that yet. Um, you saw it unanimated. Yeah. But no, well, that's you know, it, the whole, that's all animated up. is. Yeah. Were yeah. You, you were inspired by The Simpsons? or uh, Without a doubt. I was inspired by MASH and The Simpsons for this show. MASH is the only TV show I'd ever seen that combined comedy and drama, and they flipped a switch. You know, the second they got into the hospital room, it worked, you know? And uh, The Simpsons, the world, as the world expands, it just got weirder and weirder, you know what I mean? And they brought these, even the secondary characters all had a point of view and something funny to say. And the non-sequitur stuff, it just, uh, it killed me. I think it's probably, if not the best comedy ever written one of the top five you know yeah 
if you can lock into the animated thing. I'm yeah. kind of weird. I, you know, I don't. Cartoons tough for you? Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. I don't know why. Not, no, I get not it. for you. It's uh, I love them. You know, I, but I, we had the same discussion about South Park, which I think is brilliant. But some people, South my Park, wife, I can watch. And yeah, my wife loves those jokes, but she's like, "Well, I'm not watching a fucking cartoon." I just, I guess, I never like. Uh, I don't have a. It's not that my brain isn't geared that way, but I can watch South Park because I get a real kick out of a couple of the kids. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I Cartman's funny to me still. Guy, I mean, it still makes me laugh. I don't, I don't, I don't watch it regularly. Yeah, but yeah. when I tune in, I'm always happy to see it. Yeah. That's that's my big problem is I don't watch anything regularly unless I get obsessed with it. Yeah, and then you then you go all out. Right? Yeah, and then it's just I'm in. You know? break, what, what besides Breaking Bad and Mad Men now are your obsessions? Well, I watched. Um, I watched the shit out of The Wire. Yeah. I mean, like, but it was like, I waited till it was all done. I rented it, and then it was three episodes a day. I was like a, some sort of, I, I was a crackhead for the show. Yeah. Like, I couldn't, like, I couldn't sleep, and I had to go through that. I, I tried, did the same thing. With I, The Wire? I tried it on TV. And I it couldn't was, do it. It was too hard. Well, because, <laughs> like, if you missed one, if you missed one episode, I'm yeah. like, what the fuck is happening? It yeah, doesn't yeah. seem like anything's happening. Yeah. And I think I watched two, and I'm like, there's nothing happening. Yeah. And if you don't watch it, like, like, like you read a novel, you're fucked. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know what I'm I'm sort of obsessed with the show Chopped and I'm not proud of that but you I know, watch I, it constantly I, I watched look you, you're tapping into something I like too which is my big pet peeve is people that uh, take great pride in saying they don't watch TV or especially like writers that say uh, yeah, I would watch TV all day if I if I really yeah, my, I got like a, I get paid to do it I'd do it all day I got a girl who's like I think was brought up by television literally yeah. I think she you know she, she's my girlfriend yeah. and uh, because of the way she grew up she basically relied on television for any sort of emotional support so <laughs> she's there all day long but yeah. she watches House Hunters I don't know why yeah. but uh, you know people like <laughs> people I, do it I mean it's a maybe it's a sort of a hint yeah. you know like I'm like this place is fine I mean why was why the pressure? I get it. <laughs> All right, you know, but uh, but I I find I I watched a bit of um, uh, I kind of liked Intervention, but those kind of reality shows, I, I get to a point where I don't know if they're exploitive or helpful. Like to me, yeah, Doctor Drew's rehab thing. I watched. Well, I don't that do a that. I, I, same thing though. Just, I can't just, do that yeah. because I don't like the celebrity thing because it doesn't yeah. look like as earnest as it may seem that they're trying to help people. Yeah. If you have a bunch of you know strange you know uh, kind of completely egocentric yeah. uh, uh, disasters uh, they know in their hearts that this probably ain't gonna work out yeah and they're watching they're watching to watch the car crash and yeah. when you watch something like intervention to me as a guy who's sober i was like you know this should be they should make a library out of this yeah. you know for people who are trying to get sober so they can look what you this is what this is what it looks like when it's not treated yeah the problem for me is that the end of intervention is is you know is bleak. Do you know what I mean for me? Because you know you know nine out of ten of those stories end with the the, the reality. They go out. Yeah, yeah they, of course. Well, yeah. that's that's the reality of people who try to get sober. Then you watch hoarders, and you're like, after a few episodes of that, I feel filthy, and this is wrong. <laughs> it's wrong. It is wrong because there's no helping those people, and, yeah. and it's like it's uh, it's perverse. There's a show, an extension of that now that's weird ailments. So it's like people that eat hair. I saw that. that I saw that. I watched one the episode. One that, like, yeah, I couldn't. It's the sign of the apocalypse it, it is. is when you got a woman sitting there eating dryer sheets yeah <laughs> and, and she's and by the way and you're settling down maybe with like a takeout pizza to yeah, watch yeah, that yeah. Shit. and she's just sitting there it's like i can't stop it makes my mouth feel fresh i'm like it's fucking chemicals <laughs> and you can't but uh i i i i i tend to get locked into certain things but i don't have a schedule that lets me to do it yeah. that, that lets me do it and i don't like i tivo things sometimes i just i'm not consistent with it i don't know where people find the time i get I Why, just, what I'm, are you on i'm obsessed i got locked into i've seen all the same shows but i got locked into a uh, game of thrones this year I thought you it did was fascinating yeah and i don't like it's weird too because i don't Period like that piece. Fa- i don't like that fantasy shit usually and there's yeah. dragons in it and magic and stuff but, yeah uh, you know what impressed me i think i, I got hooked as a tv writer that they set this uh, 
Sean Bean, big movie guy, up as the star of the thing, and then three quarters of the way through, spoiler if you haven't seen it, they fucking kill him. And I'm like, that is just so ballsy. Yeah. You know, you know, so it made me, that hooked me to say, what are these guys doing? They're doing something bigger than just a right. TV show now. Right. You know what I mean? Because uh, that's the type of thing that if, if I try to do that on a network, they would think you were doing a practical joke. Yeah, right? because they, they're not willing to gamble. No. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's like, hey, we got someone that people like that they're going to tune in Let's for, promote them, until they hate and him. then we're going to cut his head off. I'm watching that episode, right? And I'm like, well, this is going to be interesting to see. He's going to get his head cut off. It's going to be interesting to see how they get out of this. And then they, they, they don't. I'm like, no, no fucking way. <laughs> yeah. They, they did. Yeah, they, so I, I got hooked in. And well yeah, I can't, I didn't, I didn't walk into Boardwalk Empire. You know, I watched, I watched Curb, uh, you know, by default, yeah. you know, I end up watching it because, you know, I like it. I like the people on it. Um, what else? You got to have the weird experience that I have, which is watching TV when you know somebody either in or involved with every show tempers it a bit makes it well it's very hard for me to cross over into knowing like i get like like with louis you know i know louis well yeah and you know i i love what he's doing and uh, but you know at the beginning you know to see him evolve as an actor yeah because comics are innately self-conscious yeah and, and that's what makes them different than actors. And actors are sort of, for the most part, empty vessels that, yeah. you know, when you talk to, you're like, really? There's nothing? And, and uh, some of them, you know, I'm No, I, I agree with you. I agree. When I watch uh, Louis, like, I'm like, oh, I saw he's thinking about something else. Or yeah. like, I'm very sensitive to, I, to I the nuance to, of how he's, have, how a, he's a person. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. But I don't know what it's like to have that on a writer's level. I, I, you know, I, I want to be a fan. You're, you're constantly in the situation. Hey, did you like it from your buddies? Yeah. So, and I want to be a fan and watch everybody that I like stuff. And I, I know that, you know, that sometimes things working or, or not working are no fault of your own, but it's complicated. Yeah. The Louie thing that I'm intrigued by, you know what turned me off at first? What? is Because I love him as a comic. Right. You, know, you can't be a fan of comedy and not love it. Right. But more than most shows, when that show's credits come on, it literally is like, uh, written by Louis C.K., starring Louis C.K., edited by <laughs> well, that's Craft thing. Servicing by Louis C.K. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. transportation <laughs> for all people involved was provided by Louis C.K. Right, uh, right. Uh, and it, so initially, even though, man, I respect it that he's grabbing it and doing that, and it's a great fucking show. I really like it. I, I, I had this weird, this is a bad thing to say, but I had this weird reaction of why does he need to do that? You know, why does he need to say all that stuff? Because it uh, used to, it's like a pet peeve of mine was like right there's there are writers out there that even though they have staffs you know most every showrunner takes a staff writer's draft or someone else's draft and then rewrites it on the weekend to make it sound like what's in their head but most people don't then well i think that well for him like i think but he's, he's doing everything i think he really is and, yeah. and that like i think the way he pieces it together in his minds is they they actually function as short films and yeah. and like he's working with to, to his credit and and kind of amazingly you know, when I knew him as a comic and he was making his first short films, he's using the same cinematographer that he used 20 years ago. That's very cool. And, and he's using the same set deck that he used 20 years ago. And these are, you know, the, and it's a small crew. He shoots with a small group. And when I first met him, when he made his first feature, I mean, he was he went and spent a shitload of money to use an Avid. I mean, that's, and he's a computer savvy guy. Yeah. So, you know, he has seen this stuff kind of build down from, you know, sitting there with an Avid and moving and transferring. And editing it himself. Right, transferring it from yeah. film onto, you know, onto the computer yeah. and moving shit like that. So I think that he's just figured out a system for himself. I mean, the real question is. He does it though. See, because like what I was, what I was asking you, because you said you know him. 
I see that guy differently if he's a guy that's actually doing all the work himself. You and know, as opposed to as contracting opposed to, it out and then taking credit for it. As opposed to having other people that uh, help he's him. Not, he's not that guy. That's good. But but what the real question becomes with something like that, not unlike Chappelle and Neil Brennan, is that yeah. at what point or does he ever say, like, you know, I, I, I'm i tapped out. You know, I need to staff There's this. There's a huge risk of burnout if he's going to do that because the show's just gaining steam. Yeah. I mean, I would so we'll see what guarantee happens. that half of my shit at the beginning was out of flat out jealousy. It drives me crazy that he's able to do that and pull it off and it's a much more intimate show than what you're used to doing it's you know it's a there's no um shangri-la and i would assume that everybody in network tv wishes that they could go do their cable show where people leave them alone and you don't have to worry about that shit and i would imagine that the same thing exists on the other side for some people that they you know that they had some of the whether it be network budgets or access to the things you can do you know and also there's a sensibility there that you know that that what makes a show unique is that it seems to be you know sort of cutting its own way and, and a lot of people don't know quite what to do with it yeah uh, you, you know, because a lot of it is 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 emotionally jarring. It's not always funny, yeah. and it's very odd. And you that's know, him. I, 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 my favorite thing about the show is that you uh, don't know what to expect from episode to episode tonally, and it's so the opposite of what I do, where you're expected to recreate the same tone week after week to not knock people off their bearings. You know what I mean? Well, now, okay. So, do you resent that box? Yes and no. I mean, I think uh, uh, I think anybody that's successful in network TV that complains about it is a dick on some level because you're, you're it's a super fun job and you're getting you know you're getting paid well to do it. But um, it is it's a different beast. You know, it's a uh, uh, consistency. You're 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 creating hopefully on some level the type of comfort food that people you know want to sit down and and uh, uh, I don't think it's as challenging as some of the cable shows. To, to the viewers, you know what I mean, and intentionally. Well, that's so. why theoretically they watch cable. Yeah, I mean that's what cable's about. I think. All so. right, so what now? How did Cougar Town come about, and and what is your <laughs> what is your issue with the name? Uh, you know, you, this is a horrible Hollywood story, man. Because look, the, Cougar Town was the first thing I ever did out of business, and uh, were you hurting? Ever, or no, no, no. But I, you know, look, you want to work. I like working, and one of my favorite things too is I really enjoy. You know, every job you get, you get to. I've been some of the people on Cougar Town, are the same people I've worked with for 17 straight years, crew members, you know, all the way up to writers and stuff. It's a blast to keep going, you know. Um, the funny thing about Cougar Town was I was doing scrubs and Disney yeah. called and they said, uh, uh, this will get me in trouble, but it'll be worth it. I think I said it once before. Guy that I like at Disney that had helped me a lot said, uh, Courtney Cox wants to do a comedy again, but she'd like to do it with someone, uh, you know, like you. And uh, um, and you knew her from Friends. I, I or did she remember you? You were that kid. I did. I gave her shit because the one time she spoke to me at Friends was at the end of the first year. She came up and said, "Is uh, uh, she's an unbelievably nice lady?" Okay, and she came up and said, uh, "Hey, um, if no one else says it, I know we're here because the writing's funny and you guys bust your hump and we get all the credit." I just wanted to thank you for that, Chris. She called me Chris. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and by the way, I didn't correct her. No, I was yeah. a plus. She was hot too. So I said, <laughs> yeah, so I said nothing. Said. I'm like, "Hey, you're welcome." Yeah, I'm Chris. Yeah, I'll be Chris. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'll be Chris forever. Uh, but so uh, I hung up. I said no. I wasn't interested. And I hung up the phone and I went back into the writer's room, a bunch of jaded writers, cynical writers. And I said, hey, you know what sucks is, uh, you know, we're here busting our hump trying to come up with shit. And I know the way network TV works. If I was to go in, this is just a joke. I said, if I was to go into the president of ABC and say, Courtney Cox is going to do a sitcom uh, when she gets divorced at 40 and goes back and fucks a bunch of younger guys, and it's going to be called Cougar Town. I said, I wouldn't have to say anything else, and I could sell it. And then it became a joke for like two weeks because we were like, yeah, and in between scenes, you know, a fucking animated claw will pull the scene off the screen. Wow! <laughs> yeah, pull yeah. the scene off the screen, yeah. and we're just mocking it. 
And then it, it, literally at about the three-week mark, I'm like, should I do this? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, and a smart younger writer on the show who saw an opportunity, his name's Kevin Beagle, and I liked him. He's like, I'll fucking do that with you. I don't care, man. You know, I'll, 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 do, it, I'll do it with you tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And we went in and pitched it to ABC, and I literally said what I just told you. And uh, the president of ABC at the time said, I could totally market that and sell it. And to us, it was just a big laugh, you know, and, and, and yeah, we were thinking, hey, maybe we can make some campy fucking show that we won't want to kill ourselves, you know, about. And uh, uh, it'll be like Megan Mullally and Will and Grace just out fucking having a grand old yeah. time. And we tried to do it and uh, we just hated it. And Courtney didn't like it either. You know wait, I mean? wait, wait, why? Because Courtney, for whatever reason, uh, the color of going out and chasing young tail and fucking them and finally having her 20s and her 40s, it did not wear well on her, you know, uh, as an actress. Uh, and it didn't, and she didn't enjoy it. You know, we put a, like an ensemble of funny actors around and every week she's but off. But she wasn't really fucking them. No, but you know I mean? I think, <laughs> yeah. I think it's just not. You know, image wise. It was Im it, uh, not even an image thing. I just don't think that, it, you know, you know how certain actors you can't see doing certain things. And also I guess yeah. like, isn't it the, the, the fact is, is that that is sort of the heightened idea of, of, uh, you know, the, it's the, cliche. It's right. A cliche. It's a sexualized uh, notion of what a cougar does. But if, a it, if a woman was really doing that, it would, it would reveal such underlying problems yeah, yeah it's 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 yeah. such a cliche yeah. and uh and look at it on the week to week too you you establish a regular cast yeah. and yet one actress has to spend a half of her time in every episode off with some guest cast member you know who she's not close with and who doesn't know her comedic rhythms and it's so after four episodes of that we just said fuck it mm -hmm. and uh, we'll change the show and we decided as a group that the show is about how adults while away the time and it's basically as they get older midlife yeah drinking wine and uh, shooting the shit and uh, tried to change the title, but we were in this weird position that the very reason I knew that the show would sell was why people came and checked it out at first. It was a noisy title and the network promoted the shit out of it. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, so they wouldn't let us change the title. And uh, um, uh, it became the only thing we could do is from that point on, all the title cards on the show, uh, we take shots at it. It's the worst titled show. And it's not about it. She hasn't, it's called Cougar Town. I think this year's uh, premiere is her getting engaged to her 44 year old, you know, uh, boyfriend, you know. Well, how is it, how, how have the numbers held up? It's all right. You know, the, uh, I think that. Um, has it changed since the first? Yeah, I mean, the, uh, I think that the show will be on for a long time just because in the modern landscape, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's so nice that people go, "Hey, the hit." It's not a hit, you know what I mean? Uh, the uh, but I, I think ABC owns it and it does well enough. But uh, we certainly, you know, I always make at least one giant mistake every TV show, and I certainly blew it at the beginning of this show because uh, the people that turned in and saw and felt the same thing I did, some of them didn't come back, so we had big numbers right away. You know, and then when we changed the show, we kept, since we changed the show, we kept a very loyal audience about the same numbers since And then. I'm assuming that this is an age group that is not generally marketed to. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, like, I mean, I got sort of obsessed with men of a certain age because I thought I love it, was, show. it was so emotionally yeah. solid. Yeah. And and then I started to think, like, how could, why are they taking it off? It's because it's got nothing to do with anybody they're interested of selling things to. Yeah. You know what? I, I lucked out that our 18 to 49 rating is high enough that the show's going to be on for a long time. You know, so, but you're right. It's a, uh, well, put it this way. It's a weird position to be in that I know that I probably would not have been able to sell a show called Midlife 
and say, it's about what a bunch of adults that live in the same cul-de-sac do to spend the time once they're in that long stretch of your kids are grown and you just work and hang out. Yeah. You know, uh, and uh, even if I had been able to sell it, it wouldn't have gotten the plum time slot. And it right. wouldn't have gotten the huge promotion. Right. And I called it Cougar Town, and, uh, and now, I'm, you know, now I'm stuck with it. Well, yeah. what? Why don't you change it? You don't change the title for three reasons. Three? Four reasons. We're still, we, we've been giving, it'll tell you something interesting. They gave us the option this year of changing it. But here's the, 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 the first year, uh, the second year of the show, they wouldn't let us change it when we tried to. You could call it Sad Fuck Fest. Oh, God, exactly. <laughs> Call it midlife. Yeah. Call it. Uh, call it the drinking age. Call yeah. it anything. The uh, oh, they wouldn't you thought, let, thought about. It. I know, dude. They wouldn't <laughs> let us change it. They wouldn't let us change it. Sunshine State. Yeah. They wouldn't let us change it because it was on after uh, Modern Family and it was working. So they're like network number one rule: network television. Don't fuck with something that's working. And uh, the biggest reason, though, is our show uh, gains a full ratings point in that silly demographic that no one, you know, that eighteen to forty nine doesn't matter in DVR and same you know same day plus seven. And if you change the title of your show, there's the technology doesn't exist. Everybody that has season past your show it disappears. Oh, they're going to miss it, right? Disappears on all of them. So and they got to re up. So they might. So not. you would have to cross your fingers that those people like it enough that they're going to take the time to go reprogram their thing. And so you're living with it. Yeah, you're not going to change it. Uh, I don't know. You know, I, it fills me with self hate. By the way, I does it I, really fill you with self hate? Here's why. Can I tell you why? Uh, uh, it's not what the show's about. It's a bad hacky joke, and it always was a bad hacky joke. And I'm actually proud of the show itself. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had. First of all, with people who are like, "I'm not going to watch a show about older women fucking younger men." I'm like, "It's not that." But here's an example. I got to meet see Jane Goodall speak. It was just rare at a little dinner party. She came to a dinner party. At Courtney to talk Cox's about house. gorillas. Yeah, she was talking about. She's fundraising, obviously. Yeah. But it was super cool. You know, yeah. I brought my daughter. And my daughter. How old are your kids? Uh, I should know that. Um, my daughter, <laughs> my daughter's 11 and, uh, but for her to see this woman you know, right. and, and it was cool as shit. And then yeah. this guy came up to me and, you know, this is when I'm already pissed off that I'm like, people still think that this show is about that. And it's not like yeah. some of my, cause they friends, don't watch it. Yeah. Some of my friends, I'm like, check this show out. You'd actually like it. It's a bunch of middle-aged folks drinking wine and yeah. fucking around, you know? Uh, this guy comes up to me and he goes, Hey, you know, I, uh, I work with Jane. I actually run the Cougar fund. It's a Cougar preservation fund. Yeah. And he's like, I'd love if you guys can ever throw us a shout out just on your title cards or whatever, you know, because we're really doing important things for, to save those animals. I'm like, of course. And he's being nice. He's like 77. Yeah. And he's like, uh, he's like, I love the show. You know, when you're trying to be nice to someone, he's yeah. like, I love watching those older gals chase those young guys. You know, I right. see a lot of that in my life. I'm like, fuck you. Hey. You know what I mean? <laughs> Because like, you and your animals. In my head, I'm like, you've never fucking watched it. Don't try to be nice. It's not about that. Just fucking just say thanks and walk away. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you don't have, you know you think it's about that because of the shitty title, but it's not about that. I didn't say that. I said, hey, thanks for watching. Yeah, yeah. Glad you like the show. Glad you love it so much. You all those, whiz him on anything. All those older women, fucking younger men, I could kill you. Uh, That's what burns, man, is I still, I liked... You know, everybody that says that the So your self hatred if you have it, it just it, it comes from being, you know, misunderstood or trivialized. Mm, cheese or ball. Yeah, it's a cheesy title. I knew it, I made it the joke of it, now I'm stuck with it. And uh, at every moment that I have when someone goes, Oh, what show are you doing now? And I go, Cougar Town, they go, Oh you know, I'm like And they don't even watch it. No, man. And so like I, I liked the Scrubs had a slight cool factor and I dug it. And, and by the way, you know what the big bullshit is? I, 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 I've heard all these people, some on your show that pretend A, not to read stuff about themselves and B, that it doesn't affect them. It's bullshit. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like I, I'm supervising a young 
um, writer's project this year. And I was psyched because someone wrote an article about it. And I went on. Of course, I went to the comments. And there's like eight nice ones about him. And then 9,000 ones that say I'm an untalented douche. Oh, fuck. You know what I mean? And uh, which is fine because in the scheme. But to be, I can't be that guy that goes, hey, I don't care. I always care. I was, I was trying to be a comic once. I want people to love me so badly. But you, know hurts. Why the, you know why that one hurts, though? Yeah. Is because, like, and someone brought this to my attention, but I sort of realized it myself, is that if they hit the thing that you hit yourself with, yeah. you're fucked. Yeah. Like, if, if they're, like, there's nothing worse than comments that make you go, I guess I kind of... I kind of... Yeah, I am kind of... When it, when it, fraud always it, gets me. Right, so it honors... Your your criticism of yourself, yeah. and then you're like, they see me. Fuck them, though. <laughs> Fuck, it hurts, man. You know what? You, as a comic and actors here, they get it more, but what I'm obsessed with is I think that there's a future in television that writers can brand themselves, you know, and, and, and maybe there's a reality, especially since TV is such, you know, niche um, uh, viewing, people have that kind of fanboy yeah, yeah. habits, you know, that you can get to a point that what you're selling is not, hey, look, Joe Schmo stars in my new show, that it's like, hey, it's a new, you know, it's a new Vince Gilligan show, you know, right. or it's a new whoever show, and people turn out for it. The double-edged sword is the second, as a writer, that you go, hey, it's important to put my name out there. Yeah. You open the door to the shit that you've never dealt with, that comics and actors and right. real public figures have. Right. I'm not equipped for it. I hate it. Yeah. You yeah, know, it's it's yeah, it's horrible. So you're a sensitive me, guy. It makes me want to vomit. I just want to be yeah, I just want to be liked, man. You know, it's my it's my biggest weak point. My wife always says you're a pussy because you care so much about people that don't matter. Like your it. wife says it to you too. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. that's good. So she just feeds. Hey, She's then, a hard ass. So too. then you walk away going, oh, I'm a pussy too. My wife, my wife is the heavy. And by the way, and when those things come out, if my wife sees me reading them, the next day there'll be a comment from a random person. And it's always her. It's yeah. like, oh, fuck really? you. <laughs> Okay, you fucking jealous fuck. <laughs> well, I mean, okay, so so you got this show, you're happy with the show, but yeah. is there like cuz you talk like I talked to a buddy of mine yesterday who I hadn't seen in 15 years, yeah. a director, but you know he made this very sort of weird declaration to me, and I hadn't really talked to him and I know what he's done. And he said, "Look, you know, I chose this path to where, you know, I knew what I wanted to do." You know what my dream was as a creative person or as an artist, but I knew I wanted to make money too, so yeah. I chose this middle path to, to sort of navigate what you're talking about. Yeah. How do you do something that you can respect yourself but also make it you know appealing to as many people as possible? Is there some project that you have in your mind where if you could say "fuck it," you know I've got you know I've got enough money, I've got the freedom to do this. What yeah. would it be? Yeah, you know. What? I've lived my life by this weird, uh, professionally by this code of you do what you have to to get to do what you want to, right? right. And, so, but uh, some people never do what they want to. And and well, the double-edged sword of it is that entertainment specifically, television specifically, if you do one thing successfully, everyone around you, not in a mean-spirited way, conspires to keep you doing that same thing, okay? So sure, it's your like agents, music. your managers, yeah, your, the studio, all they want is like, hey, you did that, it created a lot of money, you were satisfied on some level because... You enjoyed the show and you love providing work in a great work environment, hopefully for the people that you that you like and gotten to work with a long time. We're going to give you this money to keep doing it again and again and again. That's why Bring that thing you do to it. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's why there's no content on um, uh, the Internet yet. OK, one of the reasons that nobody's found out a way, I think, to, to make the Internet anything but a marketing device and make an actually like a solid. This is where I go to watch this show device is because everybody that's good enough to pull that off, the studios will come in and go, hey, here's J.J. Abrams, here's a bunch of dough to uh, not ever do that. Right. You know, and only do that stuff right. here on networks. You know, right. or Trey and Matt, you know, the guys that did South Park, if someone did that today, it could kill on the internet. 
they will never they won't you know maybe they'll get to a point that they'll do an internet show because money doesn't matter but yeah so it it's clearly doesn't matter at this point i mean yeah. but they did a pretty amazing thing by uh, so, amazing by the right. way amazing but, but i mean but like but like that model because they started in a weird I just way meant that, that could happen now sure, on the internet, on the internet. With someone in a no, yeah and it'll change everything but they got one of those interesting deals where they they created so much buzz and they took so much care in in, in maintaining control and insane. owning it that like they're just processing money there. it was really brilliant i just saw their broadway show i was blown away and this, was it good uh, you'll dude I, I could care less about that stuff and it blew me away it's so funny Part of the experience, especially being a, a comic yourself, is sitting next to mom and pop Broadway showgoer. You know, I was next to a couple; had to be mid sixties. And uh, the first, uh, the first song, you know, starts as a uh, one of the early songs starts as kind of a Hakuna Matata Lion King ripoff. Yeah. yeah. And the refrain comes, and uh, you know, it's an African villager singing about the real Africans. I want to uh, God. God tries to fuck me in the mouth, ass, and cunt. Yeah. And seeing how those people next to you react. <laughs> You know, who probably saw Annie a couple months ago, you know, as part of, they loved it. You know what I mean? To me, I was like, this is insane. Um, but anyways, to answer your question, uh, the other thing is that you've been married. I've been married. This is my second marriage. You know, this one's worked. I've been married for 12 years. I was married once when I was re really young for uh, 10 minutes. But uh, You got two kids? I get three, man. Yeah. Uh, but you live your life to your means. You know, you don't, you constantly adjust, I think. To, and so... The only way you get to that place that you can go do what you really want is you got to draw a line in the sand. And what I mean by that is I signed, uh, I signed a four-year deal with Warner Brothers that I know that the people that are paying me, and rightfully so, it's a business, are paying me to do the same thing for the next four years. And I had to talk to my wife and talk to my friends involved in, in business and say, uh, this is it. Do you know what I mean? That I'm going to do this four years, and I, I, I get a lot out of it. I'm not complaining. I love working with the people I work with. My greatest fun now is when you get to start a younger writer out and maybe help them through the system uh -huh. when, you know, in a, in a nice way without fucking them over and stealing their money and stealing their ideas and shit. But uh, if you don't say four years from now, I'm not going to sign any more deals and uh, we're going to change our life accordingly so that we aren't living as if we're going to get paid like a professional fighter forever. You know, and uh, and go do something fun. You know, and uh, see what see what happens. So this is a four year deal outside of Cougar Town. Yeah, I, I work for Warner Brothers now. Yeah, which is it, TV writing. When you get to the showrunner thing, it becomes like professional sports, which is and it's very weird and fucked up. And it's why these some of these Hollywood businesses are run so poorly that it, you get uh, like uh, Cougar Town exists because I worked for ABC. I had a four year deal with ABC, which is you get the same salary for four years, like you're on a sports team whether you put a TV show on or not, you know? Right. And if you get a show on, they charge it off. You don't get paid anymore for getting a show on. Right, so on. you just sit there and you try to write a script. Yeah, and uh, and if you get a show on, you know, you own a big chunk of it, so obviously you're trying to, but it's not like uh, you get paid any more than if you're just at your house sleeping. So that's like a bungalow deal. You've got an office at Warner Brothers. You've got a production company yeah, over so there. So Warner Brothers wants me to do a bunch of TV shows for the next four years. I like the people there. What do they ask for? How many scripts? Uh, I I'm, I sold three pilots this year. So I'm doing, you know, I'm going to try and shoot three new shows next year. And we'll see. One's one that I wrote. One I wrote with a buddy, you know, who is uh, a good showrunner himself. So he could totally do it if it got picked up. Yeah, and one I'm uh, supervising a talented young kid, you know, that uh, hopefully keep him from getting beaten up because he's right on the cusp, you know, of being a stud. Uh, but more often than not, a writer you, stud. Yeah, when more often than not, when you go through the system before you've got a track record to go fuck you, I'm going to do it the way I want. They just devour you. I mean, yeah. the cliche is true. 
you know, every young writer has this moment where you go in to pitch an idea. Say it's about a young couple, you know, in their 20s. And you're like, I'm going to write a comedy about what it really means to be married at 24. And it's going to be edgy and dark and fucked up and people drinking and then breaking up and getting back together. When you come out of that meeting, you know, you're going to be like, all right, they have a precocious 10-year-old now. You know, he's, and he's really smart. He talks like a grown-up. And, uh, uh, and, and the reality is, is because when you're in there, what those people generally say to you is, we like this, but, you know, maybe we could see it as an 8 o'clock show. We'd love them to have a kid and be more stable. And if you do that, you know, we'll go ahead and buy it. But if you don't, you know, you're going to have to move on. Well, then, you, but then you've got nothing hanging on your old idea. Right. Like you just only watch yourself try to accommodate executives. And then as each step you take to do that, your original idea diminishes. Yes. So yes. you're writing an entirely but different show. You have to add to that. So say you're a young married guy in real life that has a kid. Yeah. You got to do, you got to chase the dollar. You right. know what I mean? No, I and so, it. yeah, you know, and, I, I uh, and, uh, and you're right though. The end, the end result of that is, uh, hey, this sucks. Um, you guys feel guilty for making me do all this shit? No, that was you. Yeah. You know what I mean? So because you take the heat for Cause it. Because the only experience I had with that is I had a deal. I pitched a show about a guy who ran, a, you know, like a, a wedding video business, yeah. and and his big claim to fame was that you know he had won, uh, you know, the Oscar for best short film and and fucked up all his opportunities <laughs> and ended up back home in this in this family operated wedding photography yeah, that's business. That's funny. Yeah, and but then all of a sudden it, it became sort of like, well, maybe he has a kid. Yeah. And I'm like, he doesn't really have a kid. Well, how do we bring a kid into it? And then we brought, you know, we bring in like a kid who he didn't know he had yeah. that comes in on the pilot because he fucked a waitress. And it, it, <laughs> See, this is a, this is a, so this kid that I'm doing, Jason Belville's his name is a Canadian showrunner. That would happen to him. Why does he want to work with me? Hopefully, I'll help him get through the pilot process. Protect him from that. I have a support crew, and then I'll go. And we're not fucking doing that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's just, good it's that you that you're helping people out. But uh, yeah, but it's not selfless, dude. I mean, there's a you know, come on, there's a, he's your guy, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I hope to Gary Goldberg him someday. Hey, you get it now, dude? Okay. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go try and write theater because <laughs> that's the end. Man. I love. I love theater. I love. Uh, really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, what, what, you would write main like uh, uh, musicals uh, or what? musicals and plays. I I I, I, I joke about it. Um, like all who the are your time. playwrights? Uh, I'm a huge Tom Stoppard guy. I yeah. was a uh, I was a David Mamet guy for a while. I liked the percussive style yeah. and shit. Sure. You know? um, sure. But Tom Stoppard's the stud. Yeah. You know. And yeah. then uh, uh, I pride myself on being the straightest guy that can probably sing Les Mis in French. I know. I know Broadway. Oh, you're a really well. you're a latent musical guy. Yeah, yeah. It's embarrassing. My wife fucking hates him. I can't. Uh, I, I can't. She she won't even go. I, I cry face. at them. I don't sing them. Yeah. See, that's okay. Like sometimes I write them spontaneously. Seriously? Sure. Like <laughs> I, like just around the house. Yeah. I'm going to watch TV. Yeah, you know it yourself. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 but it's 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 interesting how when you talk, sing, how you can see how like kind of wonderfully fun it's awesome, a musical right? could be. Yeah, all your problems go away. Yeah, yeah. You just can talk, and... sing anything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it I know. seems it seems not as dark. Yeah, I you know think. I mean? Well, that's I that's, haven't taken a shit in four weeks. That's why musicals yeah. save the depression. I mean, why do you think Fred Astaire and all that dancing was great? It's oh, like, who can watch that with a frown sure. on their face? Yeah, if you if you're asking for money with a cup and you're dancing, it's a whole different thing. I suppose I'd like to do a, a movie sometime, but mostly just to. Uh, uh, say that i did it because I, I i generally feel like you know it's really funny man in television people are always like hey you got all the success why don't you do a feature film and if you know anything about the business it's because doing a movie sucks unless you're not you know unless you're like scorsese or somebody that has the power to control it it's you just know, getting uh, money just yeah, a process of, of getting off the ground on a tv show you get to do final cut write it cast it 
choose the costumes, pick the music, and do everything. And then you go to a the first time I almost did a movie. Yeah, it was just a horror show. Is everybody second guessing you and giving you shit about every little thing? And you see how things get dumbed down and how they end up yeah. sucking. All right, one last question: Why yeah. is every episode? Uh, named after a Tom Petty song. Uh, I have roots in uh, rural Florida, and uh, the guy Kevin Beagle does too. So we set, set the show in Florida, and uh, I li- we literally just did it because we dig on Tom Petty so much. We Isn't he great? It, we thought it might be a way. Check this out. We thought it might be a way to uh, uh, connect us to him in any way, shape, or form. Because I'm a lifelong fan. I think he's. He, I think he writes the ultimate pop song. Okay, just, and, and they're great American songs. It's, just, it's something like it's like it's like towny poetry. He is a guy that does not get his due, right? And he so really doesn't. The, the 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 direct line from that Wall Street Journal calls me up and asked me to comment on a piece they're writing about Tom Petty. So that's win number one. Yeah, and then it finally came to fruition literally two weeks ago. He's using a stage right next to ours to rehearse. Hey, the Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers are rehearsing for a gig that they're doing in Cabo. I think it's like a private uh-huh. birthday or wedding gig or something. And uh, I immediately, being a suck ass, got a you know In and Out Burger truck you know for our crew and said you know hey knock and tell them those guys all their fucking guys can yeah. do it too. And uh, um, and then by the way, total high school. They're rehearsing, and yeah. I'm, I'm holding the door open to listen. Yeah, yeah. And a yeah. big old security guy comes out. He's like, "Get the fuck away from the." He's like, he's, you know, it's like all yeah, yeah. like, "Hey, sorry, man, I was just trying to hear." <laughs> yeah. Right, and then and then literally ten minutes later, Tom Petty's having a burger. He's like, "Are these the guys that name every episode of their show after me?" He's like, "Get them over here." Yeah, and uh, they can come in and watch us rehearse. Oh shit! I know, right? And yeah. uh, the same guy that just almost scared the 19 year old piss out of me. Yeah. He's like, "Which one of you fuckers is Bill Lawrence?" And yeah. I'm like. <laughs> yeah. you know and uh, i get to give him the pr- the smug look as i walk in yeah, 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 he's yeah. like tom says you're cool does yeah, he he yeah. says i'm cool <laughs> and uh i sat in there so that, that's why literally that moment is why they're all titled after tom petty so yeah, it was worth it i did it I, paid I, off. I, I, the only embarrassing thing was we're in there and uh uh, uh they're practicing and at the end um tom petty is like uh, hey should we um uh, should we rehearse uh, Free Fallen? And by the way, I'm supposed to be like an invisible fly on the yeah. wall. And I'm in the back going, yes. Then <laughs> 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 uh, he's like, no, you know what? I think I know that one. We're going to get going. Oh, fuck. I don't think I was supposed to talk. Yeah. <laughs> was he a good guy? He was a great dude. Man. Oh, man. Because I love he, him, man. He is. He's, I love him. He couldn't have been. He was he definitely stoned, but he's a good dude. Well, yeah, he, I think he does I, liked, I think he likes the weed, yeah. Yeah, and he uh, likes so many good records, too. Oh, my God. Hey, by the way, He's the ultimate guy. If people aren't huge fans, then you can start rattling off songs that they like that he knows. They're yeah. always, I mean, that he did. He, they're always amazed. Yeah, those are like all the like all the records, all of them. I mean, like uh, I didn't quite understand the last DJ, but I, but yeah. everything other than that, I, yeah. mean, like, I still listen to him. Like he's one of the guys I still listen to. Me too. Did you watch that uh, that Bogdanovich yeah, documentary? Pretty amazing. Great. I loved yeah. it. Yeah. All right, Bill Lawrence. Good talking to you. Hey, Mark. That made my day. That was super fun. That Bill Lawrence is a lively guy, intense dude, great time talking to him. Do not go away yet, because there's a couple of things I didn't plug, and these are me things. Uh, first of all, Starfish Circus with Greg Barrett and Dave Anthony and me and some other special guests. We're going to do that show, it's their show, at Largo at the Coronet. That's www.largo-la.com. That's Wednesday, February 15th uh, at 8 p.m. That'll be a fun show. Those guys are funny, and I have a good time with them. But in a bigger way, we got the Los Angeles Podcast Festival. You can find information on this at www.lapodfest.com. There's a Kickstarter there. We're trying to raise 20K. Uh, It's going to be a huge event. Uh, Some of the biggest names in comedy podcasting. We're going to do it at the Sheraton Delfina uh, in the historic Barnum Hall. 
It's in Santa Monica. It's a three-day event, October 12th, 13th, and 14th. And there's going to be a bunch of live podcast recordings. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to do one. Jimmy Pardo's going to do Never Not Funny. Todd Glass is going to do The Todd Glass Show. Graham Elwood and Chris Mancini are going to do Comedy Film Nerds. Barrent and Anthony are going to do Walking the Room. Jackie Cation is doing The Dork Forest. Mike Schmidt's doing The 40-Year-Old Boy. Al Madrigal, Maz Jabrani, and Chris Spencer are doing The Minivan Men. Lynette Carolla and Stephanie Wilder-Taylor are doing For Crying Out Loud. Go to www.lapodfest.com and check out the details on that. Oklahoma City, I'm coming to your town. I will be at the City Arts Center that Saturday, February 18th, 2012. That's this year, 7.30 p.m. You can go to my calendar at WTFPod.com and go there anyways. Kick in a few shekels, get on the mailing list, see what you can get app-wise, you know, support JustCoffee.coop, you know, and check out my calendar to see if I'm coming to your area soon. That Oklahoma City date is Saturday, February 18th. Oh my God, I'm not even ever, I'm never going to get Boomer in here. Not today, not with the construction. I didn't tell you about that. Yeah, maybe next time.